Talking to people about dark matter and neutrinos can be funny. Surely you're joking. Hopefully, yes. What a wonderful universe. Welcome to Surely You're Joking. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Peter Hickerson. Today we have Griff Pippen. Hey. Hey, Griff. And I'm very excited about the guest we have today. Uh, I've opened for him before. He's a hilarious guy. Um, he's probably best known for the Axis of Evil comedy tour, which is a great one. Uh, he's been on every TV show, I think. <laughs> like every <laughs> single yeah, one. Every TV yeah. show ever. I mean, just to name some. ER West Wing, Kirby Enthusiasm, 24, The Colbert Report, uh, True Blood, Malcolm in the Middle, Better Off Ted. I could not possibly write them all down. It would take the hour of the podcast. That's why you have to say every TV show. Yeah, every TV <laughs> show. It'd be faster to list the ones. What's a TV show you haven't been on? There, that, that doesn't exist. That <laughs> he was on Game of Thrones. Yeah. I remember you on that. You were great in Breaking Bad. Right. Was, the, the mountain throws you or something? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I don't watch that show, so yeah. I don't know much about it. Um, you've also been in uh, Sunken City, the movie Sunken City, Just Like Us, The Interpreter, uh, Sharon in Love. And uh, this I saw, this was really exciting because I knew more than one person there, so it was cool to see this. So you just you recently went to the White House for Persian yes. New Year, yeah. which is awesome. And you were there with my friend Mir Kay. And then uh, uh, he's been on the show. Then also um, uh, Bobak uh, Ferdosi. Uh, said he saw you at the the next week. Is that true? He wasn't totally sure. So he w- w- he saw me. Was he at the White House? No. Yeah, for the next week, not for Persian uh, New Year. Oh, he's Persian, but no, no. I was there for the Persian New Year event. You didn't. You didn't MC the. No, I MC the, the the. I got to introduce Michelle Obama at the Persian New Year event. Okay. That's what I got to do. They, okay. didn't, they didn't have me That's back. That's pretty amazing. I, I didn't, they didn't give right. me. They didn't, they didn't book me twice in a week. <laughs> be like they've already heard your stuff, right? Man. And then uh, this is. I'm super excited about this uh, coming very soon is a new tv sh- uh new sorry new uh, movie that you're starring in jimmy vestwood <laughs> yeah jimmy vestwood american, american yeah american hero that's a movie that i co-wrote and co-produce and i star in i describe <laughs> it as the persian pink panther meets borat <laughs> yeah it's just a silly fun yeah. comedy it's about a guy in iran who wins the green card lottery to come to america <laughs> there actually is a green card lottery yeah if you, if you i don't know if you knew that oh yeah i have yeah, a friend yeah, that won it yeah, there you go. So, the, so people are dying to come to America, like literally, like they want to win this green card. So, this guy wins the green card lottery to come to America, and he has been a um, fan of Steve McQueen since he was a kid because Steve McQueen movies were big in Iran. <laughs> so he loved the movie Bullet. So he wants to be a cop like Steve McQueen was in the movie Bullet, and so he thinks he's going to come to America just be really cool. But once he gets to America, he realizes that America doesn't really embrace him that much. He's an immigrant coming to America from Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only job he can find... Oh, those find are really popular now. Very so. popular, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that it's, it goes uh, Iran and the Syrians are right below him. Um, but then he um, he ends up... The only job he can get is working as a security guard at a Persian grocery store. And then from there, somehow he gets embroiled in this plot to start World War III, and he's got to save the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a fun, silly comedy, and I, and I hope people go check it out. It comes out May 13th in LA and Washington DC and then May 20th in New York and Toronto and then May 29th in San Francisco. Yeah. Where, awesome. where can you go see this? Like a specific specific theaters we should go yeah, to? Yeah, so there's the Music Hall Theater in Beverly Hills. There is um, the uh, the Lemley uh, in, in Encino and then there's the um, Regal uh, University Town Center in Irvine. Um, if people just go to jimmyvestwood.com and the reason it's Jimmy Vestwood he actually lives in Westwood uh-huh. <laughs> but Iranians can't say W they say V's yeah. mm-hmm. so it's Jimmy then V-E-S-T-V-O-O-D jimmyvestwood.com and they can even see the trailer there and just the trailer's see, hilarious yeah I just love to the see trailer. that they so like funny. it you know what I'm saying uh, and that scene it's like a very legitimate scene nowadays where like somebody's filming you and, and then it goes all over the internet and goes so uh, West it's, I've been explaining this to people who aren't from L.A. Uh, Vestwood is. Or, no, I'm saying now that. you got it. <laughs> you got it. Now you're perfect. You got it. Vestwood. Westwood. I used to work at UCLA, but one of the interesting things about uh, UC, uh, Westwood is that there's more <laughs> Persians there, more Iranians in Westwood than there are in any city outside of Tehran. I think, I think. you're. I think <laughs> I you're right. I think you're right. That. No, I know. I know for a fact that Los Angeles has the biggest population of Iranians outside of Iran. Maybe Tarangelis. it's Los Angeles in general. Yeah. Yeah, but, but Westwood. But Westwood is one of the big hubs. So if people go yeah. to, if anybody comes to LA and they want to try some, by the way, Persian food is delicious. Mm-hmm. If they want to try some Persian food or Persian ice cream or something, you just got to go to right by UCLA. If you come on Wilshire Boulevard between Wilshire 
and really down to all the way down to Olympic probably um, on Westwood Boulevard, up and down. You'll see shops with uh, writing, uh, you know, Persian writing, um, and you'll see great restaurants, um, and uh, you may see some per- beautiful Persian women as well. Do you right. endorse Shamshiri? Are you a fan of this place? I am a fan of Shamshiri. Shamshiri's <laughs> great. There's another one called Daria, which is on um, Santa Monica Boulevard, actually. That's great. There's a lot of them. I, I, really, I really don't think you can go wrong with the Persian food. And the thing that they do is they give you like a bucket of rice. Whenever you order it, they give you a ton of rice. I love Persian rice. Oh, it's, it's so great. Like it's, where it's so crispy good. and everything. Well, oh, the crispy is the bottom, the tadig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what you're talking about. Yep. So the, but I love the, that. But the basmati rice is what they cook it with, and then they, you, you, you get the kebabs. Or you can get there's a great there's a bunch of different broths that you get on top. They're delicious. Mm. I mean, Persian food is like Indian food, but but not as spicy. Have you been now? Have you been to Rafi's? I'm sure you've been to Rafi's in Glendale, and people yeah. say that's Persian Armenian, but it's pretty much Persian. Yeah, Rafi's is great too. So our so Glendale is where the Iranian Armenians are. So there's all different like parts of town, like a lot of a lot of the Persian Jews are in Westwood and Beverly Hills. You also have Persian Muslims that aren't really that religious. We're not really a lot of Iranians aren't that religious um, because of just what they experienced with the revolution, the Iranian revolution. I think they got a bad taste in their mouth for for religion. Mm-hmm. So, which is kind of ironic because of the way that they're portrayed in U.S. you know perception all the time. <coughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of Iranians in Iran that are religious, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of the Iranians that left Iran are really against it. There's actually a lot of Iranians in Iran that are also like a lot of the young people. I think are not as religious either. They probably embrace more the Zoroastrian religion, which was the first monotheistic religion. Which is a badass. Religion, badass. Good. They yeah. just say good oh, words, yeah. good thoughts, good deeds, and you're, you're, you're done. And um, so anyway, there's Iranians all over, but the Rafis is in the is in is the Armenian Iranians, and it's really good oh, too. Oh, so good. Maz, I never said your name, so I'm just going to say it as if I had said it, and we'll we're gonna pop it. Oh, <laughs> I never sure. actually. I didn't. Well, get... we're not done with this credits. We're gonna keep yeah, going yeah, yeah. for the entire <laughs> show. All right. Well, please welcome. Maz Jabrani. Hey, all right. Thank you. I saw that poster for the new show, Jimmy Vestfoot. The new new movie. Sorry, the new movie. And and, and the the tagline, heroes aren't born, they're imported. That sold me right there. That's That's a brilliant line. Who came up with that? I love that. It's so funny. So so it's amazing how um, it's such a collaborative effort. So for the longest time, our tagline was, you don't have to be American to be an American hero which I also thought was a good one. I liked it a lot. And then we brought on a foreign sales agent. This guy's name is Michael Lurie, really nice guy. And we started playing with the poster and the tagline a little bit because he was taking it to go sell it overseas. And he was like, is there another line you guys can think of that's not just American, this, that, the other? And we just started thinking, thinking, thinking. And I think he might have come up with that line. Um, oh, and- yeah, because the the... the- feeling of it is relevant in Europe or something like that because relevant if you just anywhere. say it's American here if you use the American version then it's not totally clear that yeah and and, and and the, and the idea of like heroes aren't uh, heroes aren't born they're imported I think that's a great line I, I agree with you I agree with you <laughs> love the line and uh, and it's true and it's just like and, and there's so many I, I just did shows in Europe doing stand up stand up in Europe and there's so we many we were there at the same time we I wanted to run I wanted to, yeah we were like within days of each other in the same city and I saw you on Facebook I was tempted to say we should meet up but we did, we were never at the exact same city at the same time oh but wow I was in Amsterdam the day after you were oh bummer <laughs> so there you weird. go I wasn't there for very long though so so yeah. I was just I was traveling to Germany. They have a, a reactor there. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. that's great. So yeah, so I we missed each other. But you but uh, you know when you're in those places, there's a lot of immigrants now in all these places. So mm-hmm. and a lot of them are immigrants that have that have integrated and they're living there. So I think that tagline does work. Heroes aren't born; they're imported. I, I like it. You now you got some big discoveries of stand up in this thing called the World Stands Up in Amsterdam. Produced uh, an English company produced that. That was I, I did the World Stands Up in London. In London, yeah, and that was uh, boy, that was like I don't know, twelve years ago or something. Yeah, and it was an English company, and um, yeah, it was cool to do. It was it was my first time doing stand up in England, and it was actually interesting because you know the beauty of stand up now is if you go anywhere where they speak English, they're gonna get it. But you as a stand-up have to also go through your material and make sure that it's going to all translate. Right. So I remember being there, and uh, um, one of my jokes back then, I did some joke where 
I made a reference to Asian drivers. We all, you know, in America, you're making a reference to Asian drivers. People know what that means. That means like, you know, like Koreans or Japanese or whatever or, or Chinese, you know, and, and there's the stereotype that they're not good drivers. That's the, there's a reference in that, right? Well, in England, when you say Asian drivers, that means uh, Indians, like East Indians. Oh, okay. So they were all looking at me like, huh? And, and they're not known to be bad drivers. <laughs> so it loses the whole, right. you know. So you got to ask some questions before you go. You got to ask people like, what do you, you know, you got to figure out the, um, the people are like, are you saying taxis are dangerous? <coughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. I yeah. Did, that didn't I, work here either. Yeah. Right. I, I, I yeah. toured Europe in September and England, and I yeah, you had to you had to really throw some things out, and you had to switch it up. And sometimes, sometimes you, I was one set in Romania, I, they weren't getting any of my material, and I thought it was you know pretty universal. It worked in England, and I had to switch into crowd work. It's yeah. really interesting going overseas and doing comedy. Yeah, and also. There's certain countries where they speak English well enough to get it. Some countries you realize they're just there to practice their English. <laughs> yeah, those they are just fun. want to see you speak English. <laughs> those shows are fun. I did. A, I did a, in, in LA. I did a youth hostel years ago, um, and uh, and I was doing about you know five six minutes in with no laughs. I finally was like, "Does anybody here speak English?" Yep. yep. Refused to run some of those rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Did you this room with like, Max? Was this in the b- banana <laughs> bungalow? I don't know what it was called. It wasn't Max. I don't think it was. I forget who. It was like early early, early in my career. I forget who it was, but it was in, it was in Santa Monica. Yeah, I ran a room there. Yeah, yeah. So Filipowski <laughs> or yeah. Howard Berger or something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> we right. did it. We did a show there, and it was an hour straight of just blank faces. It was <laughs> so awesome. They're, they're, it, was, it was really good training. Yeah, they're there because they're touring America, <laughs> and they have free time, and they thought, "Wow, I get to practice watching people speak English." Yeah, and anytime, yeah. Somebody, anytime somebody would say like, <laughs> "Oh, sorry, you got you know, you probably don't get one," they're like, "No, no, this is fine. Keep going." Yeah. It, to them, it's like going to we America. You go. To go see jazz. You got to see stand up. The only difference is you're, you got to be involved in the stand up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, most of them were really apologetic. Like, oh, it's our fault. I'm sure this is great, <laughs> which was not really true. Either. But they're like, I'm sure you guys don't stink. <laughs> <laughs> you bunch of losers. Do you guys have words in your country? Is yeah. that a thing in your where you're from? Let me let me practice some English that I learned. Uh, you suck. <laughs> Speak it very well, right there, buddy. Where where you've traveled a lot over the globe? Where have you done comedy? Dude, I've done comedy. I mean, that's the beauty of stand-up. I think part of it is uh, with the internet now, it's uh, it's easy for people to watch you and learn. And there's a fledgling uh, comedy scene. I mean, when when we did the Access to Evil comedy tour, which was me and uh, uh, Ahmed Ahmed, Aaron Cater, Dino Bidala, and we were the first group of Middle Eastern comedians really to to go. We went to the Middle East uh, with the Access to Evil comedy tour. We we're the first group of American comedians to go to the Middle East and perform perform for the people of the Middle East. And this was end of 2007. And it was amazing because from then to now, now there's like this, this booming scene in every one of these countries. There's comedians doing stand-up. And, um, and we went out there. We did five countries when we first went out there. Ever since then, I've gone back and forth now. I've done seven countries in the Middle East because a lot of those countries speak English very well. You know, in Egypt, not, you know, I wouldn't say majority of the population, but there's a lot of young people who will go to school and learn English as their second language, and then they'll go to university. There's the American University of Cairo. There's the American University of Beirut, American University of Dubai. So all these places, these guys speak English very well. And, um, and so I did, I've done those countries. I've done Europe. Uh, all the Scandinavian countries are good for that. Yep. So uh, Norway and Sweden, um, Denmark, um, even Belgium, Holland, um, uh, obviously England, uh, I've done Australia. So I've done stand-up in a lot of different places. And and part of it is that they, they need to speak English well enough. And the other part is that they have either run into your clips or they have friends that know you and they bring them along. And it's a, it's a great feeling. Um, Griff is, uh, really likes Romania. He's actually... In the top 100 English-speaking <laughs> comedians in Romania. Oh, you got that's that, his, huh? That's yeah, his market big deal. that he is. You know, yeah, I, I've, I've done comedy in 16 countries now, and um, and it's really interesting because people are always like, what's that? Like? People always ask you, what's that like? How does that work? How does that translate? You do kind of, you know, you custom tailor your set, or you have to switch gears a little bit. But I always tell people, 
comedy's in a new golden age renaissance globally. Maybe it's, you know, people debate it was in the 80s in America, but it's a new thing in in all these countries. And there's enough English speakers to fill up a theater in every country in the world. They see YouTube. They love stand-up. It's easy to organize, and it's a cool thing, and it's a whole new art scene popping up. And every single... there's I don't think there's any country in the world where you could go now where you couldn't do... Maybe North Korea, but... I don't think there's anywhere you could go and you couldn't really organize a show for stand-up now. Yeah, I think the uh, the, the couple of things. First of all, um, I always try to do a fish-out-of-water few minutes at the top because it's great. When you observe them from an American standpoint, they really love it. So whatever that is, you know. So I always spend the first couple minutes talking about them. And then I also do a lot of crowd work and then get them involved. But um, But the other thing, though, is there are countries like... France or Spain or Italy where you could probably get a smaller show together I think but I haven't found any promoters that could do big shows right because there aren't enough English speakers at a high enough level that they would come out and really enjoy it right you know? yeah I, I used to work in Italy a little bit and I I just tried randomly on when I had it's an hard. opportunity to give a talk to to give to do jokes, and it was usually a, a half American audience and a half Italian audience. These expat and shows. they all speak. All the Italians spoke excellent English, so that wasn't the issue. It was just this weird cultural thing. So that they could see the Americans were laughing, but they just afterwards they're like, "Oh, I guess that just didn't work on you." And they're like, "No, oh, I just did." And I said, "Did you not understand what I was saying?" They're like, "No, it's we didn't understand what you were doing." Hilarious. That was the part that it was like, "No, <laughs> as, like the, as I said before, you a stink." <laughs> right. <laughs> No, it's funny you say that. I did a I did a conference. Uh, I've done a couple of like these TED talks and stuff. And there's one in um, there's one in um, in Mexico, Puebla. Uh, it's called La Suida de las Ideas. And uh, I think I actually met um, I forget his name right now. Uh, Kip is it Kip Thorne? Is that the guy? Yeah, yeah. I met him. You met Kip Thorne? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We had him as a guest on the show. He's a yeah. guest on the show. He's a uh, cool guy. Yeah. He, when you when you walked in, we were talking about the project that he just won. Yet another award. He's won three awards for it already. He's definitely going to get a Nobel Prize. We did the show with him. He had found out that they had made that discovery the day before he was on our show, okay. and he managed to like keep yeah. it secret. And well, it's amazing because he um, he and I were on the same flight down. I had no idea who he was. We had the same flight down. We end up in the same car driving awesome. from Mexico awesome. City. So I'm talking to him like, "So what do you do?" He's like, "I'm a you know I'm a physicist." Or, you know, I was like, "Oh, cool." I was like, "Where do you teach?" You know, he's telling me. And then he's like, you know that movie Interstellar? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah. It was, you know, it was based on stuff that I came up with. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Then we just kind of like ran into each other the whole weekend and talking. Oh, so this is recently. This was like in the last this year. Was like, yeah, this like like I think like four or five months ago we did it. That's awesome. Um, yeah, but he was my uh, he was my relativity teacher. He's a cool guy. He's he, amazing. Yeah, and so, um, but at that conference, you know, he gave a talk. There was all these people talking about stuff, and then I go out and I do stand up, basically um, trying to talk about ethnic stuff in the stand up. But what's interesting is it was my second time doing that conference, and both times they have half the audience speaks English and half the audience doesn't. So half the audience has those headphones on, like the United Nations, <laughs> and they're getting someone to translate it. I would love to hear the laughter from them, oh, like if delayed. The, if, if the person, you know, the person do the, you know how it's always the most bland thing. Yeah, it, it yeah, would be so yeah, funny if they started yeah. laughing in there, you know, but yeah. they're doing the bland voice. Yeah, it's like, why awesome. did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? Um, Just making jokes up that aren't your act. Knock knock, who's there? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but no. But what was actually interesting was when I realized that I. Actually, again, being, I think it's important for a comedian to, you can't just go up and do your act. You can't just go up and be like, oh, I just broke up with my girlfriend, you know. <laughs> people go, okay, you're making it up, you know. So you got to You guys really, on Tinder? Yeah. yeah. yeah you gotta, so you got to be in the moment. So what I what I did that, I did it twice now, but the first time was, it, it did, it went really well, which was halfway through my, my whatever, talk or stand-up, I did say, I said, wait a minute, I said, who is listening to this via translation? And I said, please raise your hands. And so all these hands went up. And I said, so whatever I say, he's got to say. And they were like, and so this guy's saying, like, so they're like, yeah. Very good Spanish. So then, thank you. So then I start going like, oh, great. I go, well, uh, okay, I love strawberries. And then he, and then then I go, did he just say it? And everyone was like, yeah. So now they start enjoying it. And I go, okay, uh, I love uh, uh, horseback riding naked on the beach. Yeah. And he started doing it, and it was so cool. Oh my god, that would make such a good sketch. Yeah, you want to do this as a sketch sometime? We should totally do this, this as a sketch. Be a great yeah. sketch. Yeah. That's so funny. Just yeah. the yeah, just everyone's serious faces. That oh man, 
So it was great. So it was for, for a moment, everyone with the headphones was really starting to crack up because now it became about them. You know what I'm saying? So it was the only time I've ever done stand-up with uh, instantaneous translation happening. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Performing in Mexico, it's always a trip. I, I'll know, I know a thing or two about that. <laughs> I did a show in Mexico City a couple months ago. Got robbed at gunpoint right after the show. Oh no! Yeah, they paid me, and I was excited. Got cash and robbed right at gunpoint. Seriously? Yeah. So you were? Was it a club or a theater? What was it? So this guy, uh, this American guy, worked for Apple. He's from New York. Just got tired of this life he was living in this corporate, and went down to Mexico. Kind of went on a tour of America for a year, doing you know, eating barbecue in the South, and had to come to. Come to God moment where he realized he wanted to make barbecue in Mexico. And then he went down to Mexico City and opened up this like Airstream trailer and just started selling American barbecue. And it blew up. It's a hot restaurant in Mexico City. Like an inverse taco truck. That's awesome. And and anyway, (laughs) it it blew up. And anyway, he's American. He likes stand up. He started throwing stand up shows in English once a month. And he brings me down there every now and then. Packs it out. How'd you find the people. guy? He found you online or something. He's a Mexican comedian who was here for a little bit and went back home and said, okay. "You're you're you're great. I think you'd do great down there." And brought me down and and once again pulled the fish out of water, just kind of commenting on what's going on. Some Trump jokes. They they loved that. Oh, of course, yeah. And uh, so yeah, we, we got to get into that. Two hundred people <laughs> in a theater or in a club or something. It, well, right? it's a it's a kind of a giant restaurant, but with a space and a stage for performances, bands and stuff they have in there. Really cool. If you ever go back down there, if you ever and a, into and, a, and a good neighborhood, like when you're walking around, or do you feel like, oh, this is kind of a seedy part of town? Wow, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny you say that because we were in that part. That's a nice area that's in. But um, we went to another area we thought was nice, La Condesa, and got robbed right at gunpoint. It just guys jumped out of nowhere and put a gun to my head and took my phone wallet, passport, and cash. To your head too. Oh, yeah, my passport. God. I'm like, I don't know if you've ever had to go to the U.S. Embassy. In America, in Mexico, but it's not a fun place. Oh my God! How long <laughs> did you have to wait for that? Five hours, and the thing is, and I, I get in there, and I thought it was just an objective process. Oh, my passport's gone. Can I get a new one? And does it? No, no, no. That's not how it works. People get, you know, you, I could walk in there and go, I got robbed. They go, it's not our problem. They don't have oh to give me. No, no, so no, it's at first, horrible. At yeah, first, they were kind of like, I said, oh, I, I, my passport's gone, thinking I got drunk and lost it. And the guy's like, well, and I start to hear his voice go down the path of, you know, you're, and I, I had to come up with something. I had to start crying. So they bought my story. Oh, I had to wow. literally start crying. I mean, and then I finally got it. We leave to go to this other place, get two flat tires and then food poisoning. Oh, um, no. So you, when you travel and do comedy, it's uh, something always happens. You got all that stuff? In food the course of like three days. Wait now, are you sure you weren't drunk, though? It wasn't tequila. It might have been tequila. That got me food poisoning? All of it. All of it. That's no, just a big... No, no, Wait, You might me, not have even been in the same neighborhood anymore. <laughs> didn't, <It's> just, <laughs> didn't you... Didn't you... Didn't you have a, a police... Did you file a police report? I mean, when you get robbed, you tell we the police... We went over to the police and they we, they basically said, sorry. And they walked right away. And uh, it's not uncommon that sometimes, you know, sometimes the cops will rob you. They'll yeah, get you yeah, too. They but they didn't like... They, they, they don't even give you like a little receipt to go like, he's been robbed. So when you go to the embassy, they go, oh, there's proof. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, we should have had a police report file and said, here we go. But they, they just basically said sorry, and then they ran off. So, Well, because in the end of the day, the reason you're, they're stealing it is because they can sell it for a lot. A lot of money, I guess, and there, and you could just sell it also. So there's it's, like a lot of pressure to. So you and the your about. other friend, whoever you were with, he's a comedian. He got punched in the face. So they go to Damn. take his wallet, open it up, and realize he's one dollar, and they punch him for being poor. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we laughed about it the next day. But so, so you guys were you in a car? Were you walking? What happened? Just walking down a nice sidewalk in a nice area. No one, no one else in the neighborhood as you're walking. No, no not really. It was it was dark, and you know, I think uh. they they know it's a nice area. They see a gringo and they go probably got money they were right got paid for comedy got me it's the restaurant's called the pinchy gringo in spanish (laughs) which i think means fucking american what does that mean what does that translate to why are you looking at me i don't i I thought you knew a little um i think that's what translate to it's a great barbecue restaurant he thinks i know that he's trying to see if you were the guy who robbed him maybe yeah (laughs) what is that he goes what 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 block is that on what's the address again (laughs) you're like 455 uh it was you it seems if you're coming out of a place that has Gringo in the name, it's probably not surprising that they just hang out there. Yeah, they look them. for guys like me, yeah. and they were right. Got oh, me. Bummer, dude. Um, what was I going to say? Can we can we play any clips from, uh, any trailer clips from that, from the movie? You can come to this country to be a security guard. You came to this country to be an American hero. 
I think we've got our guy. Jimmy. Jimmy Westwood. Like uh, Clint Eastwood, but Westwood. <laughs> the reason I want to hire you, Jim Bell, is because I think that my wife is having an affair with an Arab. And what better way to catch an Arab than with another Arab? Very good point. But, sir, I'm actually from Iran. It's, it looks awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you won't get robbed if you do. <laughs> it's literally in Beverly Hills if you want to watch it. I'm sure you've been all over the place. I'm sure you've got a really crazy story from being somewhere. What's like a crazy travel comedy story you've got? I mean, we got a lot. I mean, it, it's, it's just different things. One time when we did when we did that Access of Evil tour in in the Middle East, we um, we were in in, in Lebanon. Le- Beirut is amazing, by the way. Beirut's an amazing I've city, heard. and like the nightlife and the food and everything is amazing. But they also have been through war, and they have all these factions there, and it's some some craziness. So. We were filming a behind-the-scenes of our tour, and somebody thought, hey, wouldn't it be a cool idea if uh, you guys um, went and met with Hezbollah? (laughs) (laughs) And we were kind of like naive. We're like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do this. (laughs) And so then they were like... So then somebody, so somebody knew somebody who knew somebody, <laughs> and then they go, they, they go, listen, we gotta go to this, uh, we gotta go to this parking lot of a grocery store, uh, and that's where we're gonna meet the fixer. Hmm. Yeah. So when you hear the word fixer, it's usually like a uh, like a war reporter has a fixer, not comedians. And so we're in the parking lot of a uh, of a grocery store in Beirut, and we're waiting for our fixer to show up, and he's running late. I'm sitting in the car. In my van, there's two vans. I'm sitting in a van with Aaron Cater and Ahmed Ahmed in the other van or in the other car. And uh, as we're waiting, I'm like, this is kind of how every bad movie <laughs> starts, right? I was like, isn't this like the beginning of that Russell Crowe movie? Remember, the, what was it called? Um, the Inside Job or something, which uh-huh. was about like c- cigarette companies. The very beginning of it, there's a, a scene where it's based on a true story. The, the CBS producer, who in the movie is played by Al Pacino, he goes to meet with Hezbollah, and and like in order to meet with him, they, like he's standing somewhere, and they and they show up to take him to the meeting, and they put this burlap sack over his head, oh and my they God. run him because he's not supposed to see where he's going, and then he and then he gets there, and they pull the sack off, and he's face to face with the guy. So I was like, this is about to happen to it. I think we're gonna get, I think we get burlap sacked. So then, as we're waiting, then the uh, the, um, the, the the we also had a director with us. The director was this Tunisian guy who happened to be a Shiite Muslim. Now, Hezbollah is Shiite Muslim. Iranians are Shiite Muslims. So um, I kind of had that going for me, being an Iranian. <laughs> being an Iranian in Lebanon is kind of like, can be, uh, uh, you, you're a little bit of a superstar to the, to the, to the Shiites there. <laughs> so anyway, so as we're waiting, um, the, uh, the fixer shows up, and I'd, I'd imagine somebody in like fatigues with like a Kalishnikov and stuff like that, but... He was this dude in like tight jeans and like a uh, Ed Hardy T-shirt, <laughs> cigarette hanging out of his mouth, you know, hair gelled, just hip-looking dude. And so we're like, all right, this is the fixer. So we get in our van, we're driving, and um, our driver is a Lebanese uh, Christian. So like, like I said, Lebanon has like all these different groups. Mm-hmm. So and, and Beirut's kind of split up. Beirut split up, yeah. yeah. So as our driver's driving us, and as we're following this fixer into Shiite territory, and that's usually the uh, the Shiite uh, Lebanese uh, in Beirut, it's, it's kind of like the poorer part of town. So as we're going into that part of town, you start seeing these uh, pictures on these banners of of these guys who are like martyrs. You know, this guy's a martyr, that guy's a martyr. You start seeing pictures of like of like Ayatollah Khomeini, who was the you know the religious leader of Iran. So they really are, are of that mind. And as we're going through it, the, the, our Lebanese... Uh, or at least of that poster. Of that poster, exactly. <laughs> so our Lebanese, so our Christian Lebanese driver, it keeps, he's like saying something in Arabic. He's like, no, 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 he's saying something. <laughs> I'm like, what's he saying? And like, we, we figured out that he's saying, like, this isn't good. This is not good. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be in this neighborhood. You know that's bad. When a local... It's, and it's weird how that sound comes through in any language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They yeah. do that in movies a lot. Like, what? What is he? He looks nervous, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not. He's not celebrating up there. So as we're going, I'm like in the back of my mind, this is not. This might not be a good idea. And as we're going, um, apparently, so what happened was the director, uh, who's the the Tunisian guy who was in the in a car with the fixer. He's he's driving with the fixer, and he's a little more. He speaks Arabic and and he's Shiite, and so he was very being very street smart about the whole thing. 
And he starts talking to the guy in the car. He told us this later. So he's talking to the guy in the car, and he's like, um, and he's like, uh, you know, hey, brother, or whatever. He like basically brings up that he's Shiite as well. So that the other guy's like, oh, we're good, you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, as we're going, then he starts talking about, um, you know, his thoughts on, I think this was 2007. So there was the Iraq war and all that stuff. He starts kind of trying to get this guy's thoughts on like Americans and stuff like that. And and he said at first the fixer was kind of like, hey, I don't want to talk about that. And then eventually like the fixer was like, you know, you know what, what our leader is saying is right. Like, you know, the there was a guy named, I think it was Nasrullah. He was like, it was that or Saj, I forget what it was, but. What he's saying is right. So he we, he saw that politically speaking, he was very much in oh, support. Oh, Nasrullah was p- part of the 2006 war there, I think. The yeah. Israeli, yeah. Uh, Israeli-Lebanon war. Exactly. Yeah. So this guy so was, was like... Very high-tension moment. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. so, so we're sitting there going like, okay, so he's kind of of that frame of mind. It's fine. But then he said at some point, then this fixer asked the guy, he goes, do you guys want any like hash or anything? I hook it up. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then, and then our, and then our director was like, no, no. He played the part of like, no, I'm a good Muslim. I don't do that stuff. And the guy was like, okay, whatever. And then he said, then he said the fi- the fixture was getting on the phone with whoever was on the other end, going, yeah, we're getting close. We're almost there. So this started making our director nervous because our director goes, <laughs> I started realizing that they might not be Hezbollah. They might be like drug dealers <laughs> that are trying to pull something here. Uh-huh. And he also said in my back of my mind, he goes, I thought, okay, you guys, even though you're Iranian and two of your one of is Egyptian one Palestinian you're still considered Americans here and so you know they may see you as a as a as a prize to like hold you for some kind of ransom or something so he goes I quickly he assessed that it's not the best scenario and then we pulled up in the heart of kind of that south southern part of Beirut where it was just busy bustling city and it was like and it was and, and the sun was setting so it was getting darker and we had a show, I think, later that night. But we still had time to do this meet with whoever this guy was. <laughs> but we pulled up and we all parked. And then he, the fixer got out and everybody got out of their cars. And the fixer's like, okay, so we're going to go into that like into that neighborhood, which is kind of like, like it's, imagine like, like you're pulling up outside the ghetto. And they're like, we're going to go into those projects now. And, uh, and that's when our director was like, oh, you know what? It's getting a little late. Um, let's just let's reschedule this. And the guy's like, no, we could do it now. Like, no, no, we'll reschedule. <laughs> and me and the other guys were a little like naive still. We're like, bro, why are we going to let's do this, bro? <laughs> and the guy's like, no, 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 we guys, we got it. We really got to get to our show, guys. And we're like, uh, okay, like, why is he acting so paranoid? And once we got in the car, he told us the conversation that he had. He goes, this guy was trying to sell us drugs and blah, blah, blah. And we're now we're gonna go into the hood, you know, we're going into the projects. He's like, I wasn't gonna let that happen. So we, I almost had lunch with Hezbollah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, my Great heart story. rate literally went up during yeah. that. I felt like I was there. Yeah, man. Uh, since I'm a nuclear physicist, I'm like legit scared to go visit Iran. I really want to a lot. I get invited over and over, but I just don't feel like it's a good idea right now. that is a good point i never even thought of that because i tell a lot of americans i say listen i know that the iranians love tourists because you bring money mm-hmm. um and, and a lot a, of a lot of good tourist attractions there I mean, like, great tourist attractions there's a lot of historical places to see um some cities that are ancient cities some beautiful art some just everything's like it's a great it's a very uh, rich country resource wise so there's a lot to see um, but, um, yeah, if you have something like that, it's a little, like for me, I'm, I'm similar to you. I'm not a nuclear physicist, but I am an Iranian American who has done jokes about the leadership. Mm-hmm. I've, and you're high I've, profile, high profile. Yeah. I've hosted, mm-hmm. um, I've hosted human rights events and stuff. So I know that if I went back, the chances are that they, that some, cause the problem something is also, could go back. Yeah. It's something, the, the problem is it's a, it, there's a, it's, it's a big bureaucracy and there's a lot of different ministries. So like the ministry of culture might say, come out, do a show, it'll be great. But once I get there, the Ministry of Information will say, well, we never stamped it, Yeah. so you're not going to go. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it would, you know, 95% be fine, but, uh, but it's just a little scary. Like, we, I, we had a colleague who, he's, he was an Iranian-American, and he didn't even really work on nuclear physics. Uh, but Omid Kokob? No, yeah. What's his name? So. Yeah. Kakobi, I think. Is that I don't remember his last name, but okay. yeah, I think Omid. Yeah, so, and, and he went to jail, you know, and he's just, he's in jail for just having... You know, supposedly well, worked here, on here's the thing. Here. Here's the thing on Iran. There's a couple of things. First of all, somebody pointed this out on a, in an interview I was listening to, and I was like, "That's right." So they were saying how 
Iran is not really, it's not that it's a religious dictatorship, it's more of a military dictatorship. Because the guys who own a lot of um, property and, and, and they have a, a heavy hand in the military, they're, they're, they're called the Revolutionary Guards. And uh, so they kind of run it like Egypt has run, which is a military dictatorship. So the problem with a place like that is it's very unpredictable mm-hmm. as to what could happen. So you yeah. could go, for example, like I said, with a visa saying, come along. But then they could say, oh, you're a spy. Because you're a nuclear physicist, you're a spy doing something. Mm-hmm. And they tend to... Like maybe they've heard the podcast. They've heard the podcast. <laughs> yeah. They know what you're up to. <laughs> but, that's the pro- but that's the problem. You laugh at that. But like, for example, they, they, they had arrested a guy named Maziar Baha'i. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Mazir uh, uh, Bahari, I think. Bahari, is that his last name? Uh, yeah, Bahari, I think is his last name. Um, who was, um, he was a BBC reporter in the 2009 elections, and then they uh, they arrested him. He had been on Jon Stewart before. Actually, Jon Stewart made that movie, Rosewater, based mm-hmm. on his Which I book. haven't seen yet. Oh my God, I should yeah. see it. It's I an interesting movie. It's interesting. Because he devoted like a year of his life to it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so what's interesting, though, is when they... When they arrested him, he had been in Iran reporting for the BBC on the on the 2009 elections where there was uh, accusations of voter fraud. Um, and Jason Jones, who had been a, who was a Daily Show reporter, was also in Iran covering the elections for the Daily Show, pretending to be a real reporter but not a reporter. Mm-hmm. And does this great yeah, it is this great piece <laughs> where he's got this like um, tan vest on uh, that he <laughs> and he's like you know here I am. You know, in Iran, covering the da da da, and he goes, you know, this is what spies wear. Like he's <laughs> <laughs> he's really playing it up and being funny about it. Well, in that piece, uh, Mazir Bahari uh, acts as a translator for for Jason Jones because he knows Jason Jones from The Daily Show. So supposedly, when they arrested uh, Mazir Bahari and they were interrogating him, one of the pieces of evidence that they brought up against him was that the video of that of that interview and they go what's this and he goes oh that's the daily show they go well no you're you're translating for this guy and he goes yeah it's a tv show the guy's being funny and they goes no the guy just said he's a spy <laughs> and they were that they were that out of touch these interrogators uh-huh. um that they so you might laugh at your podcast being proof but <laughs> <laughs> well somebody wait. said like oh just don't tell anyone you're nuclear physicist like you can you can google it you know, it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate because it is. I mean, I have kids, and I really wish I could take them there. And the people of Iran are great. There's a lot of young people doing a lot of great things. Um, well, I still have hope it'll, it'll be an option. Plus, yeah. with the with the new deal, if it's not torn up, uh, maybe I'll get to go as an inspector. You know, who knows? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, Vice <laughs> Vice just did a, a, a cool episode on the uh, nuclear uh, deal, and they were in uh, the faci- they were in a nuclear facility. Yeah, we did we, uh, our show that we did. That I opened you for you. Uh, it was like the day after that day. It was like that was so awesome. Yeah, I, I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of tags off of that because it was hilarious. Yeah, I had to go after you, even though I was opening for you. I had to go after, which was oh, that really was the, hard. Uh, the Brian Monarch show. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I like, had to like run or something. And, oh, I'm sorry yeah. about that. Oh no, that's fine. It actually went well because just because I the whole nuclear physicist angle doesn't Perfect. normally fit like a glove, but it did in this case. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is I'll open for you wherever you want me. Great, so. let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah. So the what do you think about the deal? I mean, just politically. I mean, I, there's a lot of technical <coughs> stuff. I talk about it a lot um, <coughs> from the technical me. side, but. I personally feel look. I'm I'm very much uh, for diplomacy. I'm very much against war, even the war uh, with Iraq. I was I was one of the people marching in the streets of Los Angeles against it. I, I uh, you know, you see that certain regimes are motivated by certain interests, um, and I think that there's there's a, a side of Iran that wants uh, conflict, and there's a side of America that wants conflict. Um, and if you kind of break it down, there was a great documentary. It's called. Um, it's called Why We Fight. Oh, I've seen that one. That's you've great. seen it, right? Yeah, it's it's all about fantastic. Eisenhower warning against the military-industrial mm-hmm. complex. And it makes sense. that he, you know, Basically, he says, if you have these bombs and they're just sitting there and you spent millions or trillions of dollars on them, um, you are going to want to use them. Uh, there's going to be an interest in, in, in using them. So there's an interest in going to war. Yeah. You know, and so. in a weird way, it kind of makes sense. I, mean, I feel like Putin kind of does this. A lot of countries, to some degree... If you want to prove constantly that you're, you know, if you want to intimidate people from attacking you, which is pretty much what every country wants to do, one of the ways you do that is you, you know, you prove over and over that you can do it. And absolutely, you yeah. just you get you build up that that uh, that arsenal and you and you keep going. So Iran has that, and, and America has that. Meaning they have the the hawks. 
So when this Iran deal happened, I was all for it. I mean, I don't know the specific specifics in that, like, you know, I know that some of the Republicans have said, oh, it's a horrible deal. And they could get back to, you know, they could, they, they, it's, just, it's just delaying their pursuit of nuclear weapons. Well, I say, listen, first of all, that's better than anything else we've done. Because mm-hmm. if we hadn't done it, then they would have continued to rush towards it. And then the only other option would have been to attack Iran, which I think is a horrible idea. I'm all for I'm I'm not a supporter of the regime at all. And it's interesting because there's some Iranians who want America to attack Iran. And I go, listen, man, it's it, war is dirty. I mean, if you look at the number of lives lost in Iraq, you know, we never we always get the reports of how many American troops were killed in Iraq. Well, we never get the, the report of how many innocent Iraqis were killed. And I'm sure it's over 200,000 at least. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, when, when I heard about the, the deal, I was very optimistic about it. I was very happy about it. I think that it'll help uh, hopefully free up a little bit of uh, um, opportunity for, for young people in Iran. And I think it keeps us from having to go to another war again. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good thing, and I think it'll, it'll, it'll buy us some time. And, and ultimately, as much as I don't trust the regime and the leadership there, and definitely not the Revolutionary Guard, um, I think that if Iran had a nuclear weapon... It, it's almost impossible for them to use it unless they want to commit suicide because uh, Israel has so many nuclear weapons. And ultimately, I think Iran would probably use it on Israel or anybody that they would use it on, Pakistan, whoever. Those guys all have nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. So I'm also well, it's for... it's not like the world would just be like, oh, that's cool. You know, I mean, yeah. if they use... I mean, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, so it ultimately, <laughs> it, would, it would literally have to be in the hands of a madman. And I'm all for nuclear nonproliferation as well. But I think that this deal was a good thing to get at this point to at mm-hmm. least, you know... The best way I think to 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 get rid of tensions is to is to bring these people into the fold, uh, into uh, uh, into the world, and and make them participate in, as part of the world. And and um, and I'm all for I, I want I want an evolutionary change in Iran, not a revolutionary change. So I mm-hmm. hope that from within That's they're able point. to push. You know what I'm saying? I hope that yeah. they're able to push for more freedoms. I've always felt. I mean, I since I haven't been there, I don't know, but I always felt like. <coughs> Uh, Iran was very different from a lot of dictatorships where there really was not a way to it wasn't an all or nothing because there is like like you said there's a bureaucratic like system there and so anytime you have a system like that it it's always possible to make it reforming I mean ultimately they have a, they have a democracy ultimately um, the only problem is that you also have a religious leader who is kind of like the end the, like the end veto all. power yeah. yeah and then and then also he is the like supported. the Pope could control law. Yeah, but the Pope could control it. But beyond that, if he had a like the Revolutionary Guard again, if if the Pope had um, a, a group that was really powerful, that, like if if the Pope had the American military that had his allegiance, so so basically they work hand in hand. And and the honest truth is, a lot of these guys have embezzled mil- billions and trillions of dollars from Iran, um, from the people of Iran. I mean, I mean, the country hasn't done much better under them. I don't think it's done. It's probably done worse under them than it had under the Shah, financially, economically, for the poor. But the problem is that because they can have this guy who's the religious leader say that, hey, this is all in the name of God, then a lot of the poor people who are religious will continue to not question it. Yep, mm-hmm. they can't. You know, this is what it, this is God's will. That's yeah. it. A yes. lot of politicians use that. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, oh, I have this uh, tax plan, but for some reason it's attached to my uh, using the bathroom bill. You know, just we're well, stapling a, those together for some reason. I mean, Trump is <laughs> Trump is a great example of all that because it really is a situation where like Trump is closer to. First of all, a lot of the people in America that are anti-Muslim and all this stuff, they have a lot more in common with those Muslims. Than, yeah, than they would totally. think because really they're all just very conservative mm-hmm. like the conservatives in America are, cons- are are very similar to the conservatives in Iran and a lot of these other mm-hmm. Arab countries so yeah. they, or they, xenophobic or xeno-ignorant yeah. or whatever yeah. they, they, they all hate gays they all hate gays they all uh, believe women you know should have a certain place like, it's very conservative everywhere I've traveled all over the world I've <coughs> met a spectrum of people like Every, it's just the same everywhere. There's Trump it's supporters like, everywhere. Yeah, there's. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to be honest, that's what scares me the most about Trump is not him specifically. Just that's a f- 
a feature that humanity has. There's like 10% of the people who just respond to that kind of thinking. more than 10%. I more think you're being 10. very generous. Well, but it, it doesn't, it only takes 10% to do yeah. a lot of damage because but, 10% of the people can overpower 90% in certain circumstances. Well, if they're and organized, that's what, yeah, and they're that's organized. what worries me. Yeah. It's just that kind of that but the thing of, with the thing with Trump that's interesting to me is kind of going in line with these guys who are embezzling billions and trillions of dollars, and somehow these poor people in Iran either don't see it or they don't want to see it or whatever it is, but they let it happen. Um, the same thing with like a Trump situation. I was just watching him give that speech uh, two days ago when Cruz uh, uh, stepped out. And he was up there with his wife and I think his daughter and some other lady. Maybe it was his daughters, I don't know. But they all looked all dolled up and stuff. And I was watching, I go, this looks like the VIP section of a nightclub. <laughs> and it really did. And I was like, how, I don't know how the poor, the, th- there's people obviously that support him that are, that are not wealthy, that are poor. That's a big part of it. They, they think that if Trump comes in, jobs will be created and they can go back to doing whatever they did. Hmm. And I go, how do they not look at this guy? He's really like sold them, you know, he's a snake oil salesman. He's really sold them on this thing. I still think it's, it's part of human nature, though. Like, you know, you cheer for a quarterback not because you play the same way. You know, you want. It's, I think it's the same way with wealth. You like, you want to cheerlead for a guy who has all this power, and and because in the back of your head, it's always like, oh, I'm going to be a part of that. You know, even yeah, if you're not the the one doing it, you're going to somehow be part of this movement. It's or just something. interesting to me how like he's like he is really what those people in the middle of America supposedly hate, like a New York elite. Mm-hmm. And he's somehow been able to turn it and be like, "We're gonna get you know these elites, these other elites," and it's like you're the elite, dude. Like <laughs> you're, you're the, the problem. guy. <laughs> it just it blows my mind that they don't because yeah. I th- I think the bigger problem of of jobs is it's not that foreigners are taking the jobs. It's not a, a trade thing. It's more that we have uh, we have generations of people that aren't trained to participate in the modern economy. All you got to do is go to a parking lot, and it used to be that every time you went to a parking lot and you were leaving, there was a guy that would take your cash. Now it's a machine. Now there's four or five machines, and there's one person walking between all four and five making sure there's no errors. But that used to employ four or five people. So jobs like that, I mean, any kind of job like that, you know, industrial jobs or whatever it is, it's like those seem to have have gone away, and we're in this, and we're in this futuristic economy, and we just need to... That 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 would you would think that would um, be make you want to support somebody who says let's put more money into education so that we can educate people to be able to participate in the modern day economy, but no those same people are like screw education we need more bombs yeah it just doesn't make sense to me we need more bombs because if we don't get the bombs then they're gonna then the 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 Arabs are gonna get us. And then the whole world was going to be Arabs and Mexicans, and we're, we'd have no jobs, and we're going to be killed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, n- no, like you know, it's I, I just don't get it. Yeah, yeah it's a really <laughs> very interesting election. I like, I, I still love that that quote that you made earlier when we we're talking about Iran. We need a, and this may apply to America right now. We need, uh, we don't need a revolution. We need an evolution of the people. Well, explain that. I, I really like that. That's I just think I think that, I think his revolution is is messy. Revolution is you know I was I was uh I, I was at the beginning of a revolution when I was a kid in 79? Iran, the 79 revolution. I left late 78. But I was able to then look at what happened. So first of all, they make promises, the new regime made promises of change and wealth and happiness and all this stuff for everybody. Well, once they got in, they started doing a bloodbath. They started, you know, executing everyone that had been um associated with the previous regime. Mm-hmm. So you have this country that's living, that's supposedly coming from a religious, if anything, a religious uh, regime you would think would have some leniency and some for- forgiveness, and yet they were executing people. So then they execute people, uh, bloodbath, and then it becomes this totalitarian state where there's rules of like women got to cover up and you know, uh, uh, you can't drink and this and that, and all these rules just come into place. And then off of that, um, I believe it was, uh, I think Saddam was, there was there was a, a region between Iraq and Iran and the borders where um, there was a dispute over oil, I think. And I think Saddam saw a chance to get that. I believe that was that. Or, or am I confusing that with the Kuwait? I think that's Kuwaitis. Yeah, Kuwaitis. Yeah. So with, with Iran... You're the whole slant drilling, th- or the accusation yeah, was yeah, that yeah. the Kuwaitis so, were slant drilling. Yeah, so whatever, whatever happened with Saddam, I forget exactly how it happened, but, I, but I've read that um, Khomeini felt, coming off the revolution, or whoever was with Khomeini, or whoever were the decision makers at the time, felt that, well, we had this revolution, look at what we did. 
we can go win this war as well. And then we got mm-hmm. into this war, and it's a seven or eight year war where a lot of young people die. And you hear all this stuff that's crazy, man. And this is this is part of revolution. Like people go, hey, you know, the bloodbath has started. Let's keep going. Mm-hmm. And you hear this crazy stuff. For example, I have I have friends who were telling me that. They had because in Iran military uh, services is mandatory. So they were saying that they would they, they were in the military and they said one of the things they would do is uh, the Iraqis would set up these mines and the Iranians first would send out sheep to detonate the mines so that the military could follow. What would happen is the 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 mines would explode and the sheep would disperse. So then the Iranians were like okay we got to do something else. So then they got young Iranians like. 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-olds, and they brainwashed them, and they said, you want to be part of this movement. You want to be, you know, this is God's, this is all, this is all part of God's uh, um, um, plans. And so they brainwashed them and said, we need, we need volunteers. They became known as the volunteers, and they would put these, like, bandanas on their heads with, like, sayings from the Quran and stuff, and then they would put this key over their neck that was a plastic key that supposedly they said, like, you know, if you looked at it, it said, made in China. But they were like, this is the key to heaven. And they would line them up, and they would just walk out, and they would detonate these bombs so that then the soldiers could go fight. So I mean, this you hear crazy stuff like that. You hear another guy was telling me this. I just found this out uh, the other day. This other guy was telling me that um, he was he was in Iran at the time, and he goes, he goes, they would screen the movie Rambo. Now, now listen, they 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 called America the Great Satan, but they were screening the movie Rambo. He said there was screen the movie Rambo where Rambo kills all these people or whatever battles all these people, and then he goes after that they would they would come out of the theater and first of all he said everybody would want to fight so they like people would be trying to beat each other up, and they, but then he said the military would be there saying, you see what he did like you know he did you know he defeated a, a, a you know whatever hundred people, you can do that too you sign up you can do this so he goes we were young we're like thirteen year old boys we're like yes, so they were brainwashing these guys. To go out and, and and sacrifice their lives. So that's what I'm saying with like revolution leads to all this stuff as a bloodbath. Whereas right. evolution in my mind takes longer, but hopefully we can push for those changes. Hopefully rather than having a bloodbath and losing a whole other generation. I mean, there was millions of people killed millions of people killed in the Iraq Iran war. But hopefully like right now there's there's a lot of Iranians who are pushing for more freedom of uh, uh, of speech and, and press. Um, there's people pushing for stuff, and there's a, there's a moderate leadership right now in the presidency. So if you just keep going from moderate to moderate, hopefully that will get to a point where, at some point, I really hope that the country can be can can fulfill its potential and really be free and open, where you and I can go and not worry about it. Mm-hmm. You hear that, America? Yeah. We could uh, we should go moderate to moderate too. Is my yeah. that's my <laughs> political opinion right there? I think you get uh, thrown in jail if you did your act in Iran. I think. <laughs> <laughs> your act is that bad. Yeah, I think they'd yeah, put you in jail. <laughs> do they know you stink in in uh, Farsi? How do what you would say? They say? <laughs> uh, you, they would say Mozakrafi uh, uh, um, uh, or something. Or they would say Mozakrafi. <laughs> or they would say Khalibadi. Um, Khalibadi. Um, uh, or, or, yeah. <laughs> or they just say You stink. That's saying you stink with a thick Persian accent. Oh, yeah, I'd get that one. Yeah, um, yeah so I, as a scientist, I just try and focus on the parts I know about if I'm going to be public about it. I mean, I have my own private beliefs about a lot of stuff that I share on a podcast. Sure. Uh, but um, the reason I like the, um, the deal from what I understand of it is that uh, I feel like a lot of people are saying, well, we can't do it because we don't trust them. But that's what I like about it is that I think we learned from the Iraq war that not having people there on the ground and not knowing what's going on is always worse than guessing. And especially since we can see you, people can take advantage of that lack of knowledge. So I think that happened with Iraq. A lot of people, like a lot of Iraqis wanted America to invade also. And I think a lot of that information was that the the ignorance and willingness of the Bush administration was filled in with the you know, Ahmed, sort of Ahmed Chalabi was yes that guy's for name. example yeah. yeah he was yeah. he was really he wanted it to happen and so with we have the tools nowadays we can actually I believe as a, as a physicist we have the tools to be able to tell whether somebody's making a, a bomb now yeah and uh, we actually were really close to knowing North Korea did it that wasn't what made it fail it wasn't that we didn't know it was just that there wasn't anything. You, we could do about it. Yeah. And so I don't, and I don't think Iran is in that same situation because, you know, uh, North Korea is like way, you know, total different end yeah. of the spectrum than yeah. Iran. 
Um, but we can do a lot of cool things now that we didn't used to be. Like one of the things is we can see reactors running, hidden reactors. We can actually see them on detectors anywhere wow. in the earth. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. I mean, I mean, when I talk to people like you, or like I was saying when I was talking to Kip Thorne and stuff, it's like sometimes I'm like, it it really, it it blows my mind that there's that's the beauty of 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 the brain is that there's so many people that can think on so many different levels. And sometimes I'm like, I have no idea <laughs> how you have that in your head. And I don't, <laughs> I don't even really get it. But at the same uh, yeah. time, it's amazing that what you just said, it's, the technology that can go and see these, these reactors that, that could be hidden. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing, right? Yeah. And, and we have that technology now. And I think it's just, it's more important that we get good at using that as a planet, not just America versus, you know, other countries, but we this isn't just a this isn't a problem that just has to do with Iran. It has to do with the entire world. I mean, we we're go- everyone is getting more advanced. You can't, we can't just assume that nuclear power isn't going to be you know that it's going to go away. And in fact, you know, I'm actually very pro nuclear power, which is not true of everybody. But yeah. uh, one of the reasons is just because I'm more scared of of global warming than I am of uh, you know pol- proliferation and. Uh, we have the technology to like control that and we just have to as a planet because someday you know not now but someday you you know a a well enough funded kid will be able to go up on wikipedia and build a nuclear bomb and i don't think there's any way to really stop that so i think we just have to be grown-ups about it and everybody there's a lot of complicated stuff in there there's one of the reasons why these politicians can abuse this topic a lot is because it's really com- you know you can just say uranium and then everyone gets scared but you know oh it turns out there's all sorts of different types of uranium and the details of when you can use it when you can are really complicated but um you know but just having more access is always going to be better than no access well, what i love about that is that you have it's always great when like when when knowledge can can kind of speak to all this other rhetoric because the rhetoric is, you know, they're they're gonna get us and blah 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 blah, and you're like, no, let me just break it down. Mm-hmm. The percentage of this and that, and it's like, okay, it's amazing that like if people, if people actually had to live in like real hard facts, I think our level of anxiety would be so much less. Like even <laughs> or like more. When, well, no, but no, because because I'm of, pretty anxious. I, just no, but, but just but, a little bit. No, but but the thing of like where we are taken, like for example, the whole thing of like terrorist attacks. When that San Bernardino attack happened, like everybody was like. God damn it, we got to stop these Arabs and Muslims and Pakistan. All these guys are going to get us. I mean, Can I tell you something that pissed me off about this? Donald Trump did not pronounce San Bernardino right. What did he say? He just said it, I don't know, San Bernardino. San Bernardino. We'll put a clip. San Bernardino. But he used it in his, in his foreign policy speech. He's like, if you're basing everything on this one shooting, please just learn the fucking name. I mean, I know you. He doesn't like Mexicans. I get that, yeah. but it's it's not that hard. I used to say that about uh, <laughs> when 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 Bush was trying to go to war with Iraq and kept calling Iraq, and I was like, right. I was like, I was like if I were Saddam right yeah. now, I'd be like, hey, get the name right. Right, and the same you know? with Iran. Iran. Everyone says Iran. Iran. Which is Iran. Weird. No, nobody goes like, hey, that's very irresponsible of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's not like we can't pronounce it. It's, yeah. it's in words. But what's, but what's crazy about that the San Bernardino thing is like it, somebody was pointing. I've, I've heard people talk about this a lot of times. Like the odds of you getting killed in a terrorist act, uh, you know, an, an act of terrorism. Look, it's real. I'm not saying it's not real nowadays, but the odds of that are so much less than you dying from a heart disease from eating at McDonald's or whatever the crap mm-hmm. we do. All this other crap that we do, and it's just amazing that you know people don't think about that as much. Like when I. When that whole thing happened, they uh, Dr. Drew has a show uh, on Headline News, and they were doing some episode on it, so they had me be a panelist on it. So, and Dr. Drew was playing the devil's advocate, and he goes, "Aren't you in the back of your mind? Aren't you afraid that you might be somewhere, and, and this act, you know some some act of terrorism might happen?" I go, "Listen, man. I go, that's always in all of our minds. It's some somewhere, right? But I go, I'm more afraid, given the atmosphere we live in right now." of walking into a Starbucks and having some random shooter come in and just shoot me, giving them the number of shooters yeah. and guns. Mm-hmm. And this other panelist, this lady, I forget what her name was, she started going nuts. She's like, are you kidding me? Da, 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 da. They flew planes into our buildings. They're trying. And she was obviously pro-gun. And, uh, <laughs> and and I was like, I got I got thrown. I was like, why is she yelling at me? Like I, you know. And then and then at the break, she, she actually, wanted you out of the country. Yeah, exactly. Well, at, <laughs> at the break, she turned to me. She's like, that was good, right? That was a good little. Like, <laughs> 
awesome. <laughs> it was kind of that's awesome. They wanted like a Maury Povich moment. I yeah, guess. sure, sure. But what was interesting to me was It'd like, be great if Drew came out. Doctor Drew came out and was like, and it turns out you're the father. Or something yeah, like yeah, that. exactly. That would be awesome. But but what's interesting though is like if you look at the numbers of the the, the odds of something happening, mm-hmm. you know, the odds of you probably you know getting killed in a random shooting are probably a lot higher than a terrorist attack. Getting, oh, absolutely, you know. they are. Yeah. Um, so the same thing goes with what you're talking about the nuclear thing. It's like mm-hmm. although I'd be, one of the ones I go I bet you all the time about this show is uh, your odds of being killed by an asteroid are actually pretty high. And we don't think very much about that at all. If you look at the amount of spending we do, preventative spending to prevent a, like a dinosaur-like thing, yeah, uh, it's, it's weird. Yeah. This is a, like a weird quirk of probabilities that we've talked about on the show. The problem is the human brain cannot take a really large number and a really small number and multiply them together. Yeah. So when you have something like uh, you know being killed by an asteroid, everyone's like, "Well, that's ridiculous. That happens every million years. That's never going to happen." It's like, "Yeah, but it kills everyone. That's yeah. a billion. That's billions of people. So yeah. it's a bil- You know, it's a million years times you know a millionth of a sure. year times a billion people. So your odds are actually just as good that you're going to be flown into a. You're they're actually worse. You're more likely to get killed by a meteor than killed by you know. I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't stop terrorism at all i'm just saying those the are real the, terrorists are the asteroids is what you're yes, trying to say yeah we really I gotta am, we am. gotta start <laughs> galactic terrorists we gotta start boring. we gotta start profiling asteroids is what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> you know maybe yeah. if we name them muslim right. names like abdullah and hassan <laughs> right. abdullah. Like, let's get that abdullah god damn it yeah. i think trump well, would yeah, just yeah we'll find a lot more then yeah. i think trump would just be like no cha- you know, asteroids love me everyone they all love me right. meteors we're, all we're of them we're doing tremendous <laughs> with yeah. the asteroids right. the word the word <laughs> ass is in there i love ass <laughs> look at the women around me i got a lot of ass around me <laughs> what an idiot oh man thank you so much for being on the show this is great thanks for having me uh it's Woo. total honor Go Thank see you. Jimmy Vestwood, yes. American Jimmy Hero, Westwood. please. And then we're going to go in later and edit in um, the uh, trailer <clears throat> so yes. that the whoever's listening can hear it. May 13th, May 20th, Hidden Theaters. May 29th, it'll go to San Francisco as well. It's uh, JimmyVestwood.com, V-E-S-T-V-O-O-D.com. Just check out the and trailer. We'll, and we'll and if post you like it, it go website. see it. I love you guys. Yeah. Hilarious awesome. movie. Thank you.